Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I have a challenge for you, Michelangelo. What is the best joke we haven't played yet? Is there a good one left? No, there isn't, actually. Okay. We played all three of them. None of them are funny? Uh, they're okay. I like the one early. Here, I'll play this one. This, this okay. was the earliest, but it was just more truthful than anything. 22% of Americans said that they are very interested in being president of the United States for one day. When can you start? Asked one man. Because I'd love if somebody would jump in today. As long as we're talking about the moist husk of a man, I heard, <laughs> I read the description of Joe Biden the other day. Moist husk. Why, moist. Why? Why do you? Why do you mention his moistness or his lack of moistness? <laughs> it's just a bizarre thing to say. Right. Do you guys have that? Because we're going to be talking about uh, Ukraine a little more this hour, I suspect. But um, do we have that new clip of Biden that I just asked for? You see that up on the sound wall, Michael? His his water content in general, just I don't see as a... (laughs) Uh, Well, how long will it take? It's a live freaking radio show. How long will it take? I got it now. Okay, that wasn't long at all. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Biden in uh, 2019. Folks, you hear the news. Once again, Putin and the Russians are trying to engage in our elections and decide who the president's going to be. And this time I'm the object of their attention because Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully, just like the president. And I know he doesn't want me to be president. But to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change. Mr. Putin, the American people decide their elections, not you. Interesting. I've read a number of different things. Uh, uh, why, the, the question being asked, why, if Putin was going to do this, why is he doing it now and he didn't do it when Trump was president? And I haven't heard a good answer for that. From the usual suspects? I mean, because from the more Trump-sympathetic end of politics, the answer is because he knew not to mess with Trump. No, I haven't heard a good answer from the Biden-sympathetic crowd. Right, right. Well, I'm sure they'd make up something involving lots of big words and mentioning their uh, grad degree from Georgetown. What do you think the reasons is? Do you think it's just flat out he thought Biden wouldn't react? That's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by we have weak leadership in the U.S. right now, very weak. Well, this is this this what I'm about to say is just ageism, probably, or or just unkind. I'll pay for it in karma somewhere down the line. But do you remember in? I don't know why I remember this, but in 2000, it was probably 2007 when uh, Obama had announced he was running, and then he picked his vice presidential running mate. Maybe it was 2008, but he named Joe Biden. And I remember when he introduced him, I think it was in Illinois, Biden came running around the corner of the big stage and came running across the stage to, you know, really emphasize his, uh, he's you know, still being youthful and vital. So he was, how many years ago is that? So he would have been in his 60s, like early 60s. And he was an athletic guy. And he looked perfectly comfortable as a guy in his 60s jogging out there on stage. 
And I remember thinking, ah, oh, it's a pretty good move, you know, to make sure, right off the bat, make sure nobody's hitting him for being old or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He tried to do that the other day. I don't know if you saw this video. Uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin introduced Joe Biden, and Joe Biden walked up on the stage and he started to do that same run. Yeah, that's like, his signature thing. He does that all the time. Or but did. his arms kind of pumped a little bit. His legs didn't move, and he like for like a half a second, and then he quickly just abandoned it and kind of shuffled toward the microphone. And I thought, I'll bet that's what it feels like to be about 80. You think, you know, your mind's thinking, I can run over there. No, I can't. I can't <laughs> run over there at all. I'm just going to sit down. Well, it, I, it looked pretty pretty weak physically. It, it was that, it was it was a sad look. Back to the original question. Yeah, uh, Putin famously probes, and when he finds uh, weakness, he pushes, he he stabs, and you know we have very weak leadership. Trump, the Trump years were chaotic, chaotic. But you notice that when when China, you know, decided to jump ugly or assert its will or whatever, Trump just he went plenty far. In, in tariffs and punishments and that sort of thing. And in spite of the Russian collusion hoax, which we're going to talk about in a minute or two, he imposed some really strict sanctions on uh, Putin and let him know, you know, that he couldn't get away with much. Granted, that policy was not black and white. There, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but um, Trump on China was better than Trump on Russia. But <clears throat> Biden is just weak. And, and his foreign policy team is weak. And they're a bunch of, you know, limp-wristed gray people, and uh, and Putin knows it. And if you followed our news, you might certainly come to the conclusion that we're pretty tied up in knots over all kinds of weird transgender-swimming critical race theory this and that at each other's throats. Right, right. Uh, what was that? There was one other point I wanted to make. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. We'll get to it eventually. Um, we've kind of used all the time in this segment Oh. Just wasted it, rambling. No, 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 no. I don't agree. My don't agree at all. Joe Biden trying to run. His arms pumped, but his legs didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, his approval ratings are terrible too, and Putin sees that. He knows how much power he has mm. to make to take bold action, um, <clears throat> and 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 get the support of the American people. And he knows it's kind of weak. So, uh, want to get to an absolutely fabulous piece by the New York Post uh, editorial board. So often this happens in politics because we're always so focused on the present and something that happened just ancient history two years ago, four years ago, is completely forgotten. And those who acted the fool is about a tenth strong enough. Those who cover themselves in humiliation and embarrassment and dishonesty are never called on it. Well, the New York Post editorial board wanted to bring up all the Pulitzer Prizes that were awarded for the deep, deeply reported, thoroughly sourced coverage of the Trump campaign's ties to Russia, which, oh, yeah, that's right, ended up not existing. So that highly delightful and somewhat sarcastic piece by the uh, the New York Post coming up in a moment or two. Speaking of covering yourself in humiliation and embarrassment, um, various women's that Hunter Biden shacked up with have been testifying in a courtroom. Man, that was some lifestyle he was living. Probably the typical lifestyle of a good-looking, wealthy crack addict, really. I mean, it's probably pretty run-of-the-mill for that. But uh. Yeah, I, I think if you're looking for the high life and that's your lifestyle, you're going to find it. Oh, boy. 
the high life, which could not be lower. Reading about it seems tiring. Maybe we'll get to that this hour, too. Hope you can stay here. Productive segment, wasn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Funny text apropos of nothing, but it's pretty true. Finally, some humor up in this hair uh, show. Please, all death and gloom. It's killing me. If you see someone consume multiple beers at Chili's at 9 a.m., you think, wow, that is suspect. You move that Chili's to inside an airport, and suddenly it's totally normal. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I assume they're from Australia, and it's nighttime there or something. I don't know. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) You can finally go to Australia, by the way. They're opening up for tourists again. They're, they, you know what? Australia and Canada scare me. They scare me at least as much as Ukraine. That English speaking, inherited from English common law systems, could embrace uh, extreme measures of controlling people for COVID or, or like what they're doing in Canada with controlling the money and all transactions must be under the watchful eye of the Canadian government, lest those maniac truckers block our streets anymore. That stuff scares me at least as much as, as Putin and China. Yeah, some of those quotes from Trudeau. So they cleared out the trucks, but he's hanging on to the emergency powers and still going after various people's finances just in case. Right. Okay. Yeah. I thought the emergency was the trucks on the bridge. Those are gone. He said, well, he said him, he's, he, his quote was something like, I won't hang on to the emergency powers one day longer than I need to. You already have, you right. see, is the problem. Yeah, exactly. Cal Unicornia. Uh, some of the officials are saying, yeah, even though there's no emergency now because of COVID, there could be in the future. So we're going to hold on to the state of emergency, and we'll let you know when it's really over. That sort of thing, it inches its way into a culture, and it goes from utterly unacceptable to, you know, really, I don't like it at all, to, well, I'm just used to it. That's just what happens now. You know where the, I, that concerns me a great deal. The real moment is going to be because COVID will be over at some point, and they can't justify emergency measures for anyone. But the real moment will be first bad flu season, or 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 I don't know what financial downturn, something that they try to yank back their emergency powers. And a certain part of the population that's kind of fallen in love with being under emergency power says, "Yeah, that makes sense." This is an especially bad flu season or, you know, inflation is so high. I think you need emergency powers or or some allegedly conservative group does something ugly. All right. right. And then all of a sudden, well, we just we need every single transaction, be it cash check or or a credit card to be reported to the federal government now because we can't have extremists exploiting the loopholes. You know, I'm telling you, Uh, be vigilant, folks, and vote for people who don't do that crap. Make you want to put horns on your head and run into the Capitol. (laughs) Only if I can wear a fur vest. It's a deal breaker for me. So I love this. Washington, I'm sorry, New York Post. Completely different publication. New York Post editorial board. <clears throat> for deeply sourced, relentlessly reported coverage in the public interest. 
read the citation from the Pulitzer Prize Board, that dramatically furthered the nation's understanding of Russian interference in the 2016 election and its connections to the Trump campaign, the president-elect transition team, and his eventual administration. That's why the New York Post and the New York Times, Washington Post and the New York Times, uh, got Pulitzer Prizes for reporting, even though, well, we all know, even though what? It led to a dramatic misunderstanding, writes the Post, suggesting that Donald Trump colluded with Vladimir Putin to help sway the 2016 election, a grand conspiracy we now know never existed. Oh, it was deeply sourced in that deep state Democratic bureaucrats, furious that Trump had won the White House, were falling all over themselves to talk anonymously to reporters. And it was relentlessly reported, or at least just relentless, as the newspapers were obsessed with taking down the Trump administration. Yet reading these pieces four years later, which I haven't, I admit, and I'd like to, one is struck not only by how irrelevant they are, but how schlocky. Tinged with a McCarthyist alarmism of a red under every bed. Two major newspapers that hold themselves up as the pinnacle of press freedoms, the Truth Dies in Darkness Brigade and all that, pushed a conspiracy theory. As a lesson in mass delusion, it's worth going through the 20 stories that make up the Post and Times award-winning series to just how, see just how damaging they were to the truth, to the newspaper's reputations, and to America itself. The first story... In the entry that won the Pulitzer Prize from the Washington Post begins with officials say Flynn discussed sanctions. I remember saying this at the time. Michael Flynn, who was the incoming national security advisor, communicated with Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak during the transition period. Right? President Barack Obama had sanctioned Russia for hacking. Uh, Flynn had asked for Kislyak not to overreact because the incoming administration hoped for a reset much as Obama and Hillary Clinton asked four years earlier. The Post does much hand-wringing over whether Flynn actually did anything wrong here. The story floats the Logan Act, the law against U.S. citizens interfering in foreign diplomacy, but notes it's rarely enforced, and anyway, this is going to be Flynn's job in a couple of months. In fact, Michael McFaul, who served as U.S. ambassador to Russia for Obama, defends the practice, saying he had Moscow meetings in the weeks leading up to their election win. Hmm. Never mind that. Uh, Right, right. Of course, that's paragraph 17 in the article. After paragraph 2 said the communication was, quote, interpreted by some senior U.S. officials as inappropriate and potentially illegal. And I remember we said at the time, I remember specifically personally saying it, the idea that the incoming national security director having informal meetings with other nations' diplomats is somehow illegal or inappropriate is, is utterly divorced from reality. But the WAPO and the New York Times went big on it. The mysterious some, say, are never, never named. And on-the-record rebuttals from senior Obama officials is treated less seriously than the anonymous political enemies. Then they go into some detail on the Flynn thing. Uh, For a while, if any member of Trump's orbit ate borscht, it was front-page news. And a few are included in the entry for the Pulitzer. Sessions spoke twice to Russian envoy. The Post reported breathlessly on March 2nd, 2017. Undisclosed on forums, Kushner met two Russians, the Times says. Good Lord, was it a notorious scheme to hack the election? Well, no. Jeff Sessions was a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee when he met with the Russian ambassador. 
Jared Kushner hosted the Russian ambassador and the head of a Russian bank one month before Trump would take office. Those officials wanted what they always want, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, to push their interests in front of the people in power. Kushner and Sessions met with officials from plenty of countries, but only Russia warrants a mention and a headline. Then they go on about the tower, the Trump Tower meeting, the dossier. March 1st, 2017, Washington Post, Post writes, FBI was to pay author of Trump dossier. Arrangement fell apart, but Joe's bureau found his inquiry credible. That's right. The Washington Post claiming the FBI finds the Trump dossier credible. When we know from day freaking one. They knew it wasn't. The Trump never quotes anyone saying the dossier is credible. It hardly quotes anybody by name at all in the article. And of course, as we now know, the FBI couldn't stand up anything, Steele said. Nothing. That's uh, from the era when Laura Logan told us that you could read a story in the front page of the New York Times and not find a single fact. Right. Or a single quote by anybody who's named. Uh, and it oh, and it goes this it goes on and on and on in so much detail of the twenty articles that won the Pulitzers and every single one of them is inaccurate, in fact dishonest, rumor mongering schlock. When Woodward and Bernstein did this sort of thing for Watergate, these the, the, those those things were turned into books that are still read today. That's not going to happen with this story because it all fell apart. But well, they get to keep their Pulitzers. One more institution of the 20th century, the Pulitzer Prize, has now become a joke. And fine, if it is a joke, it ought to be seen as a joke. Get rid of it. Come up with a new prize for non-rumor-mongering, lying schlock, please. Schlock-free awards. Our government says it has credible information about some of the plans Putin has for Ukraine, and they're frightening. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. My phone is dead. I can't find my family and friends. I've lost him. He's on a scooter. And he's like, you know, can I please use your phone to call them? I just handed him my phone. He's like, you know, I can't find you guys. He said, do you mind if I open your maps? So he opens maps and I'm watching him do this. You know, that's the crazy part is I'm, you know, a foot away. I get alerts from my bank that my two Venmo transfers were approved. One was in the amount of $1,800. The other one was in the amount of 2000 And that's when I stopped dead in my tracks. I feel like this is the new pickpocket. Hmm. So, 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 I, so I, I didn't follow that completely. What happened? Well, so this kid who was skateboarding said, hey, I, I, I'm lost. I can't find my friends. Can I borrow your phone for a second? And somehow in pretending to make a phone call and looking at maps, he opened her Venmo account and transferred himself money. Very quickly. Yeah. Oh, okay. That reminds me of um, uh, scams. Um, I mentioned the other day that my uh, my son's really into Wham Bam Tesla Cam, this YouTube channel. <laughs> and it's just, man, you want to see mayhem on the roads. All kinds of human behavior. It's it's worth checking out at least once. There are way more crazy people on the roads than you thought that you need to watch out for. But uh, a lot of them are the scams. These people who will, will they'll get in an argument with you 
over something like you cut them off or were driving too slow or whatever. The number of people who brake check other people because they think you are going too slow or too fast or whatever. It's crazy behavior. But anyway, one of the common ones is um, you get into some beef and then they pop their hood and claim that pop their trunk and claim that you hit them and come around and take a picture of their car with their trunk up, I guess, is proof that you hit them. Okay, and and try to extort money out of you, or call the cops or the insurance because they're driving beat up cars. So they, there's plenty of dents you can claim. Um, and well, one of the advantages of having the uh, the Tesla cams is all that will end when all cars have cameras all the time because you'll have you'll have a recorded incident of every wreck that ever happens in the near future because I'm sure all cars will have those videos. People won't mm. be able to do the whole. Um, you know, leap up onto your hood and claim you ran into them thing that is common. They're, those are on there, too. That's what I do most weekends. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> a slipping Jimmy. Oh, yeah, exactly. exactly. You, you walk across the street, leap up on the hood of a slow-moving call, car with an oldster driving and claim you got run over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to. I'm getting a little old for that myself, so I manage young people. I, 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 I have a franchise. Those were the days when I had the energy to leap up on the hood of car. Now I just go to a grocery store when it's slow at night, go back in the back, pour some milk on the floor, and then no, lay no. in the puddle and start yelling. All right. You got to adapt. You got to adapt. <laughs> yeah, I never even thought of that, though. When every car has cameras, and it'll be within five, ten years, every car will have be, hard drive recording, everything all the time, all those scams will be over, which would be nice. Yeah, it's the benefit of a constant surveillance state. Yeah, all those plenty, plenty of downsides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you going to jump into oh, Ukraine stuff? Or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, we mentioned this earlier, but uh, more reporting on it. The, the, our government says it has credible information that Moscow is compiling lists of Ukrainians to be killed or sent to camps following the military occupation. So they're going to roll into Kiev, and then they're going to go get Zelensky and everybody who runs the government neither kill them or send them to some sort of concentration camp. In the year 2022, you thought this sort of thing couldn't happen anymore. Boy, I knew that Putin had affection for the Soviet Union and considered the dissolution of the Soviet Union as the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the last century, as he said. I hadn't realized he was that had that much affection for the ways the KGB. You know, let's, I tell you what, let's kill dissidents and those that we don't kill. Let's put them in camps. Zelensky was warned by Biden last night to get out of the country, and he's staying, to his credit, I think. Yeah. Uh, is it to his credit, or is he being stupid? I I, I think you got to stay there. And, and if there's going to be an insurgence of people out there, if you're going to have average moms and dads out there with hunting rifles trying to fight Russian soldiers, you got to stay, don't you? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's funny, and this is more about the conventions of news media than about the situation in Ukraine, but um, I heard uh, a number of people addressing, a number of reporters addressing this, saying that the Biden administration is urging Zelensky to get out of the country and stay in wherever, Poland or France or whatever, uh, so he can be at the head of the government in exile, because they want to establish a government in exile. So for what now? (laughs) To do what now? Is so the UN and the U.S. can say that's the legitimate government right there for the next thirty years. Exactly. Till they so all die of gonna, old age. Well, exactly. 
I mean, at what point is that going to become significant? I think it just exists so the other powers of the world can make the meaningless gesture of pointing to Zelensky and company who are there in Warsaw and say, that's the legitimate government, until somebody comes up behind Zelensky and he gets a full dose of polonium-6 or whatever that stuff is. All right. So, um, Or he ends yeah. up stumbling out a window. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, Putin doesn't need to execute these leaders the old-fashioned way. They just get really violently sick all of a sudden and die. Oh, must have ate some bad fish. Um, uh, yeah, because nobody's really talking about reversing what's about to happen. No, no, they're hinting. And again, it's like a hollow gesture toward that. Well, we're going to establish a government in exile so that when we, we push Putin out with our mean, mean sanctions and our serious speeches that the government can just slip right back in and get started again. It's a way of face-saving, I think, for the West. And I will tell you this, in the spirit of fairness, uh, and it reminds me a little of Obama and Syria. There was nothing he could do, and he did nothing, but he did it very, very poorly. We have very limited options. The United States, the Western world, NATO, unless we're willing to whoop ass. And virtually nobody is willing to do that, probably for reasonable reasons. And so, you know, there's a lot of foot stomping and speech making, but that's about all that's going to happen. I I will tell you this, though, and this is very Obama-esque. Biden said previously, one trooper goes into Ukraine, that's an invasion. Because he was cleaning up the whole, well, a minor incursion would be different mess. Uh, and he would just try to make it infinitely clear. Any invasion is an invasion. Well, now we're back to the minor incursion thing. And this is not a minor incursion. Oh, no, not even close. So, so yeah, not only is it... We're doing nothing. We're still talking about sanctions, I guess. Right. Yeah, I... I uh... I agree with the crowd. You know, I'm not as far as Lindsey Graham on this, but I agree with the crowd that, look, you can't be threatening all these sanctions, and then they carve off giant chunks of the country, and you say, well, that doesn't count because they already had soldiers there. So it's is it within the Ukrainian borders of the country? Yes. Well, then, what are you talking about? Yeah. Former ambassador to Russia uh, under Obama said, this is an invasion. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's pretty weak. Now, the good thing, Germany today announced they're canceling the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, Nobody saw that coming. So that's good news. It's the Germans with a bit of a curveball. Well played. It's amazing how our allies are willing to go so far. Great Britain almost let Huawei, a Chinese company, put in their 5G. I mean, it really took a lot of pressure from us to keep them from doing that because it was going to save them some money. And it took this to get Germany to not sign up for relying on Russia for their fuel for the foreseeable future. I mean, what a terrible geopolitical move. I got bad news for you. I think that is a temporary move, and they will end up being on the hook for their energy to Russia, and I think it'll be within a year. Really? Yeah, certainly two. Yep. Yeah, the whole canceling, they've canceled it uh, temporarily or provisionally. Even even if uh, Putin goes into Ukraine today and holds on to it? 100%. Wow. It's amazing how money talks. Once the dust settles, and this is the way it always goes, now that I'm old and bitter, I've seen it so many times. So once the dust settles a little bit in Ukraine and the people are slaughtered and sent off to concentration camps and the rest of it, Germany will 
engage in negotiations with Putin, if indeed Putin's still kicking, because he is getting kind of old, but they'll engage in negotiations with Putin, demanding certain concessions, perhaps even in Ukraine, demanding assurances that he won't go into Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, or anywhere else. And Putin will say, yeah, all right, you got me. You got a good point, uh, Germany. You got me in a tough spot. I'll agree to all those things if we can get the gas back flowing. Uh, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Putin right. knows exactly what he is doing. He has the eyes of a shark. He has the fists of an ape. <laughs> he has nerves of steel. Oh, he's got webbed toes. <laughs> he's got the teeth of a crocodile. I'm telling you, he gives zero Fs. <laughs> He's yeah, a that's, killer. That speech he gave yesterday where he's leaned back in his chair for an hour, just ranting and raving with all these made-up made facts. Oh, yeah, oh. and he worked himself up into, like, an angry lather like he wanted to fight somebody there. Yeah. What a Weird. nut job. I think yeah, well, he's unhinged. he's a nut job with an army, and he's willing to take over other countries. You think he's unhinged? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I buy the argument. I wish I remember where I read that. It was one of your big newspapers, but somebody's speculating that maybe he's he's lost it the way so many people in the world have. I mean, suicides are up. That's losing it. Um, uh, uh, all kinds of crime is up. Homicides are up. That's people losing it. Something Drug in the abuse. pandemic. Um, road rage. Uh, something in the pandemic set us off. Why, why couldn't it affect a guy like Putin who's been locked down for two years? But he's a multi. He hasn't. But he's a multi-zillionaire. He's got uh, houses in the most beautiful corners of the the empire. He's got he's all a- the women he wants. He's got uh, plenty of sausage and vodka. He seems to be COVID paranoid. You've seen all these. Whenever he meets with somebody at a, de- a desk, it's like comically long. It's yeah, like that's a true. half a football field long. The people are way over there. Yeah. <laughs> he I may have cracked. I guess. I think he cracked. Wow. Your theory. Um, we're going to finish strong. That's what we do. That's next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I brought this up yesterday, and I'm embarrassed that I don't understand it better, but uh, I'll go ahead and embarrass myself out loud. I was trying to figure out the, like, so if you can buy a car, if you could buy a car right now, and I'm guessing you can still get a rate of like 4 or 5% on a car loan, I'm guessing. Um, they've been 3% for the last, I don't know how many years. Um, but if inflation is 7% and your car loan is 3 or 4%, isn't it a better idea to borrow the money than even if you could pay for the car cash we got this text from somebody who certainly sounds like they know what they're talking about that is a uh, not a bad thought at all jack what you're observing is called deeply negative real interest rates real rates equal loan rate minus inflation it's done by nations to spur growth or inflate away debt by encouraging consumers and businesses to borrow because it's technically better than free money uh, to borrow and spend it also causes housing bu- bubbles, runaway inflation, currency crisis, and that sort of thing, historically, if it gets out of hand. But in individual cases, it does make sense. Well, yeah, yeah. A $100 payment now is really a $69 payment in uh, five years. 
So the smart thing to do, if you could pay cash for a car, would be to take that 4% loan out. If you think inflation is going to be above 4% for the foreseeable future. Yeah, depending on how you look at it. Not to be overcomplicated, though, but if wages don't rise commensurate with inflation, then your buying power for everything is declining, and you probably won't want to be on the hook for a car payment with interest at all. The world's going to be fall apart before I ever pay for anything. Well, that's an interesting (laughs) planning strategy. We'll be into the post-apocalyptical dystopia by then. Sure. Hell, I'll be eating human flesh. I'll be dismembered (laughs) by robots. You never know. Dismembered? I don't know. By robots. Mushroom clouds, uh, Russian troopers swarming over uh, New Hampshire. Nobody's sure. God, that reminds me. Maybe I'll get to this tomorrow. There's there's a book out about um, by some economist talking about we're heading into what he's referring to as a fourth industrial revolution. This one is all technology-related, and it's going to be by far the most disrupting that the world has ever seen. Um, Like, it gets into some of the details tomorrow. It certainly seems plausible, right, that this artificial intelligence, robots, everything like that, is going to be the most disrupting thing that has happened in the history of work. Oh, yeah. 50% of the jobs that exist today won't in, you know, X number of years. Pick your number. Uh, it's just crazy. What yeah. will people be doing? I, I, I fear for the future generations. Watching YouTube videos. That's what people I, will be doing. As familiar as I am with life expectancies, I don't reckon I'm going to have to deal with a lot of it. Um, oh, I but, think we are. Uh, Unless you're planning on, like, kicking it soon. I think I think we're going to see a lot of this in the next 20, 30 years. I think we'll have a good glimmer of it anyway, if not fully on board. Well, that's what I'm saying about actuarial tables. In 30 years, I'm not going to give a... I almost used a naughty word, folks, <laughs> about what's going on in the world. If I'm still alive, I'm going to be shuffling along on a golf course, have a line in the water, or, or whatever. I'm going to be sort of weird, into... futuristic fish golf. <laughs> There was a comma in there, or a semicolon, or something. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I'm going to be fully into y'all deal with it part of my life. I just would like to live long enough to check it out and see what's going on and see how it's playing out. Oh, yeah. There there must be. I have to ask my parents about this. Is there a certain, do you worry too much about your kids, or is there a certain enjoyment of, I'm kind of just observing this. It doesn't have any effect on me anymore. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, I try really hard, some days are better than others, accepting what I have to accept. And one of the things I have to accept is that human beings have always and will always have to adapt to their times. And they'll do it well or they'll do it poorly, but you gotta. So I wish you all well, children of the future. Final Thoughts with Armstrong and Getty are brought to you today by... Ominous notes separated by six octaves. Gotta admit, I did that on my piano just last night for fun. Here's your, here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew. There he is, our technical director in the control room, Michelangelo. Michael, do you have a final thought? Yeah, my final thought is Joe uh, used the phrase behind the beaded curtain earlier in the show. And I just remember in high school, we would all dare each other who dares go behind the beaded curtain at the video store. Shows, mm. shows my age, but you know, 
Mm, I don't approve of pornography. I don't even own a pornograph. Young Alex is our behind-the-scenes producer. Alex, do you have a final thought for us? I do. Uh, I love things that fit in together perfectly. Today is 2-22-22 on a Tuesday. Mm. I love it. Mm. Boy, do not waste 2-22 on a Tuesday. You make sure you make the use of that. At least, at least meditate on it for a while and think about what it really means. Jack, a final thought for us. Play a long round of fish golf. So I had one of those nights last night as a parent that I thought I was done with. Apparently I had one more in me where kids are sick and they've got stuff coming out of them faster than you can do laundry and keep up with the towels and the sheets and the bedding. Oh, my God. For hours last night. No. Uh, just part of the whole parent deal. Oh, boy. I'd say someday it'll be a warm memory, but I'd be lying. Um, uh, My final thought is a a tad darker than that. Uh, The strong have always taken what they wanted from the weak until the weak becomes strong enough to resist them. Any imagined utopia where everybody gets along is just silly. Stop it. You get strong enough to resist the cruel, the expansionist, the, the, the predators. Can't you just lecture the strong and make them feel bad about it? And they'll change you can mind. try. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people who thanks a little time. Here's why you go to armstrongandgetty.com. Any part of the show you missed is available via podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We have great swag for you and the hot links, too. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. You gotta be kidding me. I said bye. 22222. Make a note. Joe Getty's soul died. Oh my word. Will the universe survive? I'm just saying, take care. Wear your mask. Go away. Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. It's true. So everybody chill. And that's it. Can I ask our producers, can we uh, get out of here, please? Goodbye, sweet America. Thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.